like to look at Revelation chapter 21, and before we, uh, before we start on that, give a little bit of an introduction to it. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said this, that he desired that his life would be magnified in his body by his life or his death, that Christ would be magnified. And he says that um, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. My thoughts this morning are upon heaven. And I pray that God would bless us to look at a few verses and maybe glean some scriptures that would encourage us. Last week, I was involved in two different funeral services. One was Sister Farrington's brother, uh, Mr. Miller, that passed away, age 96. Uh, he had been a longtime Harford County resident coming up from North Carolina. The second funeral was in Salisbury yesterday, and it was the uh, lady that I mentioned to you several weeks ago that um, about two months ago, almost two months to the day, that she was at the beauty shop with her daughters and uh, she had her heart stopped. She went into cardiac arrest. Her daughters tried to do CPR. Uh, there was not any pulse. Uh, when the ambulance came, uh, they did the shock treatment and began to get a faint pulse after about 25 minutes that uh, she didn't seem to have pulse during that time. And she passed away this last week, but she had given a charge to her daughters. She said, the next time this happens, I don't want to be brought back. Because she says, I know where I'm going. And I know that it's a whole lot better than where I am. She gave that charge to her children was interesting that the way that God blessed this to happen she had four children that she was very close to and that were very close to her they had cared for their mother they did a wonderful job in caring for her she was 85 years old but her oldest son was facing a very extensive back surgery at uh, Johns Hopkins to the point that he didn't know if he would come through it didn't know if he'd be paralyzed didn't know what the outcome would be and he went through the surgery and he called his mom and told him that he was doing well the next day he called her and said I'm doing really well and I'll be going home And that night, she went to be with the Lord. The son believes that God kept her around for his benefit. He said, I was facing surgery and he said, I was very apprehensive. And he told this account. He said, I didn't know if I'd make it. I didn't know if I'd walk, if I'd be paralyzed. But he said, I knew that my mother was praying for me. Now, I'll tell you what. I appreciate everybody's prayers. It's a 
great blessing. And I know that God hears our prayers. I tell you what, I believe that God has a special place for mother's prayers. As long as you know that you've got your mother praying for you and pulling for you. Your mother knows you better than anybody else in the world. That's a real blessing. The prayers of the saints are a great blessing. I'll never forget, was standing here before church one day, and little Asa Mosley came up, and Asa was about two or three years old. And Asa came over, and he pulled on my coat, uh, on the bottom of my coat, and I was talking to somebody else, and, and he was trying to get my attention, and and uh, he kept pulling on my coat, and finally I looked down at Asa, little two, three-year-old boy, and he just simply looked up and he said, Brother Stephen, I've been praying for you. I thought if God hears any prayers, he hears the prayers of a little two or three-year-old. That was a great encouragement. Went to see Sister Blackburn after first started pastoring the church here and old sister Blackburn was in her 90s and she lived over here in Churchville. Brother Cook, you probably remember her and we'd go over and we'd sing hymns in her house. Before she passed away, she was confined to her bed. She was not able to get out and walk and wasn't able to come to church and she missed coming to church went up to the bedside of Sister Blackburn, an aged 94, five-year-old confined to the bed. And she said, Brother Stephen, I've been praying for you. You know, it's a great encouragement to know that folks are praying for you. And this gentleman that was facing this great tragedy, this great trial, He said it was a great blessing and encouragement to him to know that his mother was praying for him. As soon as she knew that he was going to be all right, she was ready to go home. And the second time that she, her heart stopped, there was no effort made to start it back. And her family spent their time Although their sorrow, rejoicing that they know where their mother is. We sing about heaven. We read about heaven. We think about heaven. We long for heaven. We wonder what heaven's like. It's, it's, it's interesting that we attempt to describe something that we've not been there. We haven't experienced what heaven is. So we're solely dependent upon what the scriptures have to say and our feeble interpretation of the scriptures and trust that these scriptures were given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That it's not just a fabricated story that an individual devised but that it actually, that there actually is a place. I believe that one of the reasons you're here this morning is not to convince you that there's a heaven, but because you are convinced there's a heaven. And you believe that 
that you have a hope and a desire that you're going to live in heaven. And we're just kind of wandering around, as the scriptures say, as pilgrims and strangers a long way from home. I don't know if you all are this way, but I can remember as a child that when when uh, when our parents would talk about going on a on a trip or a vacation, a special trip. A whole lot of the excitement was planning the trip, preparing for the trip, talking about the trip, the things that we would see, the things that we would do. Did you know that that's now I I can say that there were a few times that maybe the uh, preparation and the excitement of the trip that the trip didn't end up proving to be quite as exciting as what we had planned for it to be. But I can tell you that that's not the way it is when we are going to heaven. That while we're here, we're thinking about it, we're planning for it, we're longing for it, we're looking forward to being in heaven. And I can tell you that whatever we imagine here, that we're not going to be disappointed when we get there. That it's going to be much better than what we can imagine right here. So I believe that when we look at the description that's given of heaven, and actually John chapter 21, I mean, uh, Revelation chapter, it's John speaking in Revelation chapter 21, that that it even tells us toward the end of the chapter, who's going to be there. It not only tells us about it, but it tells us who's going to be there as well. Brother Cook mentioned that in his prayer. So let's go through and look at a few verses in in Revelation chapter 21. Now, now, now some folks will say as they read this chapter that there are some that will say part of this has to do with the uh, thousand year reign. I'm not capable to explain that. I'll tell you how I understand it right here. Revelation chapter 21 talks about something that is far better and it's perfect. And that sounds to me like heaven. Let's look at this is how I understand how it's going to happen in the end. I don't believe that there is a holding place for the souls of God's people. I don't believe it goes to a holding place and that the destiny can be determined by anyone that's here on this earth. I believe that's already taken care of. In fact, we understand that that was taken care of from before the foundation of the world. He says right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, this is how I... This is how I understand my my small brain can sort of comprehend that this is how it's going to happen at the end. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. This gives the uh, picture 
of folks going about life and the Lord coming back. And it looks to me like that it's very quick. It's very instant when this happens. He says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. This looks like exactly how it's going to take place. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And he says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The way that he describes it right here is that when the Lord comes back, that the clouds are going to burst open and the Lord himself is going to descend and call us forth. And it says those that are in the grave, they're going to rise first. And those that are still alive and here on this earth are going to be caught up together. And we're going to go up together into heaven. And he says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, I think that's how we're going to get there. We're, we're getting there. We're redeemed, not by our works of righteousness, but solely by the grace of Almighty God and by the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Brother Cook said, it's not dependent upon in his prayer. It's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ totally paid the price completely. It wasn't a down payment. It wasn't a payment all the way, it wasn't a payment a part of the way, but it was a complete payment in full. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins in full, and that's why we're going to live in heaven. And if we believe any other way, then Satan has deceived us to think. If we think that we have to help God out, we're missing the mark. God doesn't need any help. You, you think the God that created and spoke this earth into creation and that holds us up in his hand needs our help he doesn't need anything especially us anything we would do would take away from what god does not add to it look what he says i believe that's how it's going to happen and i believe that we're going to go into glory and he says and so shall we ever be with the lord and i don't believe that that's just for a certain period of time i believe that that's eternal i believe that it is Wherefore, I, I love this. I, I love my, my father. My father sent me a text and he said he knew that I had two funerals that that I was going to be uh, uh, going to and involved with. And he said, I'm praying for you. And he said, I know it's going to be hard. And I responded to him and I said, Dad, I said, we've got some wonderful, wonderful truths to share. And I said, it's a blessing. I said, maybe I think of it strangely, but I said, I'm thankful that that hopefully some of these scriptures can encourage the Lord's people and be a blessing to them. Because here's what he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What he's basically saying is, I'm giving you something to help somebody else out with in these times. And what a blessing these truths are. Are. I remember going to a funeral down in southern Virginia. It was a relative of some of, the, some of you folks here. And one of the children came up to me 
um, either before or after service, before or after the funeral, and said, can you, can you tell me what happens to the soul? I see the body is here, but where's the soul? I'm thankful that God has blessed us with promises that we can share and encourage folks to know that the soul, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord right then. And you know, if folks don't know it and you have the blessing of sharing that with them, it's a great joy to see the comfort and joy that they get in knowing it. It is. Some of these truths that you that you and I might take for granted, there's a lot of folks that don't know that. And what a blessing it is when you have an opportunity to tell them that their soul is with the Lord immediately. That it's there. So let's go over to Revelation chapter 21. We'll look at some verses here and I hope this will be a blessing to you. And, and some of this is... Some of this description is symbolic. It is. It's written in terms and in forms, I believe, that help us in our mind to understand it the very best we can. Let me see if I can put it this way. I believe that no matter what the description is right here, and our attempt to connect based on the description of heaven... That it's even far better than that. I, I don't think that I have the ability to comprehend how beautiful heaven must be. And I sure don't have the words to be able to convey it to you. Let's look at what the scriptures say. This is John. You can go over into the first chapter of the book of Revelation and and you can see in the first chapter that this is a vision that God gave to John and told him to write it down. Now, there's a whole lot in the book of Revelation that I don't understand. If you do, I'm thankful that you do. I understand this much that at the end of the day, at the end of the story, that Jesus Christ is the victor. That Jesus Christ redeems his people and he is the conqueror and the redeemer. And that he's coming back to take his children home and he's not going to lose a single one of them. Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I believe that this is a description of the church of Jesus Christ. But I don't believe it's specifically talking about the local assembly. But the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. That's all of the family of God 
It's all of God's chosen, all of God's elect. In fact, we're told that it is an innumerable number that no man can number. So God has a big family. He's got a large family. And it's described as a bride adorned for her husband, Christ. And he said, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. You know, that's almost a direct quote of Matthew. Where it begins to talk about Jesus Christ, his purpose in coming into the world. And it says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21... And it's talking about the birth of Christ and the purpose of Christ. It's talking about Mary that is conceived of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 21 says, and she shall bring forth a son. And this just sums up so much of the doctrine that's taught in the scriptures, both in the old and in the new. It says, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And then he just he sums it up right here. And this is what he's referencing in Revelation chapter 21, that he shall be called Jesus for he shall. I I like the way that it's written right here. For he shall save his people from their sins. Some of us are. From the south, and you may have heard this term. Hard shells. That's one of the terms that used to be described of primitive Baptist. And I've heard a, a variety of interpretations of what hard shells meant. Some would say that it's someone that's obstinate. And strong and firm. But I heard another description of what it meant. And I believe that this is one that I like. Is that we take the shells in the Bible seriously. And here's one of them. And thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall. That, that just means that he's going to. Doesn't mean he hopes to, he'd like to, or he he might, or he will if we participate or help him out. But it just simply means he's going to do it. That he shall save his people from their sins. So in Revelation chapter 21, it says God is going to dwell with them. And it says they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. So it just simply means that that they're mine. No topic of discussion. I have redeemed them. I have chosen them. I have paid the price for them. And he says, and I'm, I'm going to prepare a place. And this is what the place looks like for those that are mine. 
the latter part of the chapter, the last verse, also addresses it as well. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. He says, they'll be my people. I will be their God. And then he begins to describe a little bit about what it's not going to be like. It says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This particular funeral home that that uh, that the funeral was at yesterday, we'd had a had a funeral there before. In fact, I think Brother Mark is on the line and Brother Mark will remember this story because uh, we had a funeral probably 10 or 15 years ago. And it's a really strange setup at this funeral home. It, it's a funeral home in Salisbury. You, you've got the you've got the audience sitting out here in front of you. And then over to the side uh, in a section that the family can't really see the congregation and the congregation can't see the family. There's another room on this side. It's about a third of the size of the room that's holding the entire congregation. And years ago, Brother Mark and I were asked to 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 do a service there for it was actually one of the residents that we had at, at the assisted living. And this is probably 10 or 15 years ago. And so they wanted a song. And uh, we thought, well, a good song would be Amazing Grace. Everybody knows Amazing Grace. And so we thought we would just lead the congregation as a whole. And so I think that uh, Brother Mark and I decided to lead it. And, and so he was standing over here in front of the family. And I was standing about 30 feet from him in, in front of the, the congregation. I believe that was the arrangement. And so we were going to lead Amazing Grace. The only two people singing Amazing Grace was Brother Mark and myself. It went from bad to worse. I know Brother Mark's listening. He'll remember this. And we cut it short from about five verses maybe to two or three. And after it was over with, Brother Mark said... That's not happening again. (laughs) And it hadn't. Well, that's where the funeral was. But the point that I wanted to get to was this. As we were holding the service, even though the children were rejoicing that their mom was in heaven and in glory. As I looked over here to the side and I saw the daughters, I could see tears coming down their face. Because they knew their life wasn't going to be the same without their mother. They knew their mother was in glory. But they knew that it would never be the same again. It says right here that God's going to wipe away all tears. I don't know about you, but that sounds like heaven to me. Sure doesn't sound like any place that I know of here. There's an awful lot of tears that are shed here in this life. A lot of folks have sorrow. In fact, some folks have sorrow upon sorrow. Lots of sadness in their life. Some folks have it for a season and some folks have it for an entire life. God's going to wipe away all tears. The song, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. There's not going to be tears of sorrow in heaven. He says... God's going to eliminate death. Well, 
everything that we know here on this earth has a period of time. It's for a season. Even if we live to old age like Sister Perry was, 104, we still know that, as the songwriter describes it, that monster death, we know that, that it's still going to happen to us at some point in time. But when we get to heaven, there is no more dying. There's no more death. He says he's going to wipe away tears. There's not going to be any more death. He says there's not going to be any more sorrow. Sorrow is a very real experience. It is. You talk to a mother that's lost a child. She can tell you what sorrow is. You talk to a a child that's lost a parent. They can tell you what sorrow is. You talk to a wife that's lost a husband of... I think it was Mr. Miller and Mrs. Miller had been married 73 years. She could explain what sorrow is. We're taught that, yes, we have sorrow, but we're instructed that we don't sorrow as others which have no hope. What does that mean? It means sorrow is real. But in the midst of our sorrow, there's something that holds us up and encourages us in the midst of that sorrow. Yes, we're going to miss them. But we have the assurance to know that they're in a far better place and that we're going to see them again. And he says, there's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any crying. The things that bring us sorrow and bring us grief and bring us sadness here in this life are not going to be bringing that to us in heaven. He says, there will be no crying, neither shall be, there be any more pain. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, the only person that I knew that didn't have pain in old age was Sister Perry. And that was just a miracle. It really was. But she would tell you at 101, 102, 103, 104, she'd say, I don't have a pain in my entire body. Now she'd go on to say, of course, the leg that bothered me, I lost that and I've got an artificial one, but she'd make light of it, but she didn't have any pain. But that's very rare. In fact, the description of old age is that of not a pain-free state, but that of many challenges. It says the days of our year are three score and ten by reason of strength, four score, and that with much labor and sorrow. And what he's simply saying right there that we're probably going to live to be 70. We might live to be 80. But if we live to be 80, we can be pretty well assured that there's going to be labor and sorrow along the way. I remember Brother Al Perry when he turned 80 years old. He came in the church on a walker and and was just trying to get down to the front of of the building. And he said, I can really relate to that verse. Much labor and sorrow. There's not going to be any more pain in heaven. The things that bring about pain are not going to be there. He said, the former things are passed away. I'm going to briefly read through. It's just really good right here. And I'll just briefly read it. It tells us who's not going to be there. It tells us who's going to be there. 
He says, and he sat upon the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. So he, he's, John has given this vision. And along with this vision, he's given the charge or instruction to write it down because this is true and accurate. He says, and he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You know, just touching on verse 6, he says, of uh, the one that of thirst, he's going to give of the fountain of water of life freely. What is it that we are thirsting for? Is it not glory? Is it not heaven? Is it not being in the presence of Jesus Christ in his communion, his fellowship all the time? Is it not the, the spirit of God guiding us and directing us and holding us up? He, sees, he said those that are thirst, he's going to give of the fountain of water of life freely. But he says in verse eight, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and the liars shall all have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I have met folks before that believed that uh, in their thinking that uh, there wasn't really a hell. That hell was just something from a figurative state, that there wasn't really a hell. I've heard some folks say that I experienced enough problems here on this earth that I think that that's what it's referring to here on earth. But the scriptures seem to give a different interpretation of that, that there is a hell and there's going to be people that are in hell. And he says, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me, saying, come hither and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. I believe that that is referring to the entire family of God that he's talking about right here. He refers to it over and over as the the bride being adored, adorned uh, for the lamb. And it says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And he says, having the glory of God and her light was like the, the stone, the most, most precious. And, and it, it, it begins to describe the, 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 the gates of heaven. And it begins to describe the material that's in heaven. And it, it, it talks about some some stones that are beautiful and that are that are are strong and it, it begins to talk about the the size of it and and the the vast largeness of it as well it talks about the foundations of heaven it, it talks about measuring heaven he comes on down and 
He says um, in, let's go down in verse 22, and he says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, are the temple of it. He says that, that God, Jesus Christ, and God is the throne in heaven. He's the temple in heaven. And he comes down and he says, And the city had no need for the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb and the light thereof. The other day I was, uh, was driving down the road, and I actually saw the sun at the same time as I saw the moon. I don't, maybe it happens often, but I don't recognize it that often. I don't recognize the two uh, illuminations that, that are there, the moon at night. I, I, I love to, to see the, uh, at night, I like to see the moon uh, on the water. When it's a full moon, you can almost see at night uh, fairly clearly when you have a full moon. God says in heaven, you're not going to have the need for the moon. You're not going to have the need for the sun. Because in heaven, it's going to be illuminated by the glory of God. We get a few glimpses of the glory of God when we're singing these old songs and God shows his presence and his spirit and our hearts are made to rejoice. And we get little glimpses as we sing those hymns. Sometimes when we when we study God's word or we hear preaching of the gospel, our hearts are made to rejoice and we we are excited in the spirit of God. That's how it's going to be all the time in heaven. In heaven, the glory of God is going to illuminate heaven itself. We don't need the, the moon. We don't need the sun because we have the glory of almighty God when he shows his presence. He says the city had no need for the sun, neither the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day for there shall be no night there. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up at night and if I've got a problem, if I wake up in the middle of the night, it's magnified about 10 times. I don't know why that is, but it's always a lot worse at night. I'm kind of glad that there's not going to be any night in heaven. There's not. He says, there'll be no night there and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. In verse 27, I love this, this, how it sums up this chapter. And I would encourage you to go through and read chapter 22. It also gives different points about heaven. But here's the verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter anything into it that is defiled, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Now, How's that going to be? Because you might be thinking of your own self and looking at your own life and seeing some areas that maybe you have missed the mark and you think, is heaven for me? It is. Because of the latter part of this verse right here. He says, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life 
So, your faith, your belief, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is an evidence that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. We understand that the copyright for that book was from before the foundation of the world. So God is not sitting there with a big pencil and big eraser writing names in that book and if they mess up, erasing and taking names out. God's not doing that. I, I, I watched the, um, the, the, the I, I think I told you, I watched the, uh, the play Amazing Grace several times. I really enjoyed it. Watched the play of Amazing Grace several times. But in the play, there was a lady, there was a very wealthy lady. And she always carried, uh, I don't remember now what the point was, but I'm going to share this with you. She always carried something around with her in a bag. Nobody knew what it was. But she would occasionally have a confrontation with someone. She'd take that out and she'd mark something in it or mark something out. Later they found out that that was her will. And it was always changing. It was ever changing. If somebody provoked her, she marked them out. If somebody did something she liked, she put them in there. And that's not how it is with God. God wrote this book from before the foundation of the world. He sealed it and nobody is able to open the seals and loose them and look thereon. And if your name's written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world, you're heaven bound. And he's prepared heaven for you. And he puts his spirit within you. And your faith and your belief and your hope in the Lord and your desire to live in glory is not what's going to get you there. But that's an evidence that you're going there. So that ought to encourage you about heaven itself. And if we really understood heaven, if we really understood it, even the way this little 85 year old lady did, she said, I don't want to come back. It's not that I don't want to be with you all, but I, I, I'm ready to go and be with the Lord. And I expect that that's how we all ought to be. Not wait until we're 85 years old, but it ought to be the desire of our life. Sure, we want to we want to see our families and we want to see our friends and our our brothers and sisters in Christ. But when we realize that as Paul describes it, he says it's not a little bit better. It's far better than whatever we can present to you here. It's even far better than that. What a day. That will be. Thank you for your good attention. May God bless you.